a student, a person who set him or him herself of walking in the way of the Lord. And today I want to look at that through the parable of the talents. And so just to start that, I thought, well, why don't we have a look at some people who are really gifted in a particular field? Lincoln Habits. He's coming. Bit of room here. He's through. What a bust here by Christian Cullen. Plenty of support and what a dummy. Absolutely magnificent. Length of the field stuff. What a touch. Basically, just trying to figure out how to shoot something without a big dragon. What he looks like, how big he is, where he's going to go. Smouth's just woken up, basically, and he knows someone's there, and that's what we're in the middle of shooting now. And now standing up and facing the dragon. Schmaug's lair had to be something that was very, very impressive. This set is amazing, full of coins. This is the story of one of the world's finest surgeons. He is known as the great medical innovator who does all of his operations to classical music. Meet Ben Carson, the pediatric neurosurgeon known to colleagues and patients alike as the surgeon with gifted hands. He gives dying children a second chance at life and achieves where other doctors have failed or given up. I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over. And I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. But I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. That little boy is five. What's it going to be like when he's 25 if he keeps improving at that rate? It's just stunning, isn't it? But, um, um, but the reason we're able to look at and marvel at these talents, perhaps even be a little bit envious, I mean, I know um, Keith was because he wanted to be an all-black, and when he sees Christian Cullen, but, uh, that's all right, Keith, yeah. But um, the reason we marvel at them, or one of the reasons, is those who possess, who possess those talents have developed them to the maximum. That is, they've made the most of what they've been given. And it's within that framework that I want to look at the parable of the talents, which we find in Matthew chapter 25. But let's start with some background. The talents parable is the last of three that Jesus tells in a response uh, to a question from his disciples about when the end times will come and when will Jesus return to earth. That question comes at the start of chapter 24, and Jesus details a lengthy list of things that will happen much of it, unfortunately, pretty grim and depressing about the state of the world, before he says, well, actually, the actual date of my, of my return is actually only known by the Father. But be careful, because it'll come at a time when it is least expected. 
And then he tells them the, the three parables, stressing the to be ready, what to do, and how to live basis. The first is of the faithful and wise servant who loses it when he sees that the master's been taking too long to return and turns into a lousy, bullying boss who lives it up and he's actually caught in that state when the master returns. The next one is the parable of the wise and foolish virgins. And that's in regard to the oil and running out of oil while waiting for the master's return. And some interpretations say that this is seen as how we are in our inward preparation of waiting for the master. And then thirdly, the parable of the talents is the use of the talents is our outward manifestation uh, of what we should do while we're waiting for him to return. Inward preparation, outward manifestation, two crucial parts of our being committed learners. So let's take a look at the parable, which I know that we all know so well. Um, the, the master in the story is Jesus, who's going away, and as he does, he leaves his servants with property to minister with while he returns. So story goes, three servants, what did they get? But no, you go into the other one. No, this is the five, the two, and the one. Okay. The first, um, yeah, the first two, what did they do? You didn't realise you're going to be in class this morning, did you? Yeah. <laughs> put them to work. How long did it take them to put them to work? Straight away. He says immediately. The third, what did he do? He buried it in the ground. Um, right. You do know this. Do, do I? I don't need to go through this. No, you know it. Okay. Yeah. After a long time, the master returns to settle accounts. The first maid, another five. The response, commendation. You've proved yourself faithful. I have bigger and better assignments for you. Come in and share the master's happiness. The second maid, another two. The response, yeah, exactly the same. Well done. Come in and share my happiness. I have other tasks which you want to do. Interesting there that that he says, you know, come with me, I'll, I'll give you some more jobs to do, but it seems that the jobs that are going to be really appealing and, and wonderful things to do. The third gave back the one, nothing done. Why? Excuses. You're a hard man. You reap where you didn't sow. I was afraid. The response, he's rebuked for his laziness, for a wrong response, for not even using it minimally. Instead, he wasted it. And there was a th right at the end that because you haven't used it, you will lose it as well. Now, while the literal meaning of talents in this parable uh, is, a, well, a talent was a unit of money, it's generally accepted that a valid interpretation of these as being the gifts and the abilities that God has given us, that we've been given, um, for which we will be required to give an account. And there are five things which this parable can teach us about work and success and our walk with him. Um, firstly, success will be a product of our work, as we see in the first two talents. Second, in giving the talents, God gives us what he needs to give us for the work that he wants us to do. Thirdly, we're not all created equal. Um, the five, the two, and the one that he gives. And there's one thought that has that, well, you know, all those that are the five-talent people, there's only a few of those, the really gifted ones. Then you go down to the twos, and there's quite a few more of those. So, and then down at the ones, uh, the rest of us, like me, and uh, all that sort of thing. And that's how we go. But we all have different, uh, one, yeah, different giftings. Um, fourthly, that we work for the master. 
and not our own self-based um, purposes. And fifthly, that we will be held accountable. So it's all to do with our attitudes towards the gifts we've been given and what we do with what we have been given. Now, it may be that you're not sure what your gifts are. And if that's so, please take the opportunity to get to one of the sessions this week as a first step. Or you may need reminding or refreshing of what they are, please come along. Um, or as Jesse said last week, if you're not sure what you are, do you have somebody who can call them out of you that knows you well? Um, but I do also want to say in regard to this that the return that expected um, on the gifts we've been given and the work that we do is in no way connected to whether we'll be getting to heaven or not. Salvation is by grace and belief in Jesus Christ. It's not by the works we do. It's salvation by faith. So, yeah, please be sure about that. So what is the talents, or what is the return on the talents that the Lord is looking for? Well, I see it this way. When we decide to follow Jesus, we publicly announce it by being baptised. And in doing that, what we're saying, we're forsaking all other doctrines and way of going, and we're going to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, or as Jesse said last week, we're going to follow in the path that Jesus has created for us. And God says, that's great, and there's great rejoicing in heaven. And, and it says, it's really good when people follow the Lord. But, the, but God also says, well, now that you have decided to follow me, to walk with me, I've got some things for you to do, which it says in Ephesians 2.10, where God's handiwork created in Jesus Christ to do good works, which he has prepared in advance for us to do. He also says in Acts 1.8 that you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. I mean, he was working with the geographical location he was in then, you know, CFUH, Upper Heart, New Zealand, the rest of the world sort of thing. But what he was saying is, I will equip you to do the things I have planned for you. Both, I will equip you both in your giftings and in my power. What I ask of you is to step out, believing in these provisions that I have made. And in the parable you see really that the first two servants grasp this and are confident and diligent users of what they've been given. Wouldn't it be great if the parable finished there? It's the third servant where the uncomfortable stuff starts to rear its head. This is where the excuses start, the reasons why nothing is done. I think you're a hard man. You reap where you don't sow. I was afraid. I played safe. And really, these excuses all amount to essentially blame the master for the servant's own fear and reluctance to, and his lack of faithfulness. Remembering that the master left that servant with left the talent with the servant because he knew he could do something with it, but the guy wasted the opportunity. In fact, put it right out of reach so it couldn't be used. It's an interesting question to ask as to why he felt that way about the master and acted what he did. And I guess if you come into our lives, I, I think in some ways that's actually a normal reaction. You know, when something in life comes and just broadsides you, you say, hey, God, what's going on here? You're challenged by who he is, what he is, and, and what he has done. And, and I think that's, that's a valid response. Um, but what we do need to do is, even as it comes, we then need to work through the process of finding out what God wants to do and where it's all going. And the servant here, as you see in the, in the parable, did nothing from all the time the master came to the time he returned. Nothing changed. And I guess I want to ask, you know, are you sitting on any excuse for not using the talents and abilities God has given you. And that's not to say that some 
um, excuses are not valid. I mean, if you're unwell or, or in pain and those sorts of things, you may be in a season whereby you actually can't do anything. But what is really important is to be sure that your excuse is valid. Um, it, again, it may be that you're not sure of your gifts or an outlet to use them in, or you perhaps don't even have a vision for how you might best use them. And that's, again, part of the purpose of, of the sessions next week. So, shall we look at some of the reasons why we do stop working uh, with what we have? I guess the first one I ask is, you know, have you got a beef with God of some sort? And, like I say, these things can happen. Something hits you and you think, gosh, God, what, you know, um, that hurts. That, you know, I don't know where you are in this. And, and yeah, you have a bit of beef there. Um, and what it may cause for some time is like the third servant, that you actually you trust falters and those sorts of things. Does it seem that God seemed to bless things back then, but doesn't now? And years have passed without any development. And what tends to happen is if you go for a long time without anything happen, it tends to be that the focus actually becomes on you rather than on God, and it gets trickier to shift people from that. Can you get together with a trusted friend to help you walk through it? Because God is faithful and patient, and he does want to work things out with you. Do you have a previous vision that hasn't never come to pass? You've been sitting, well, it didn't happen, and so you, you, you're sitting. Do you need to let it go? Um, you recall in First Samuel when Samuel anoints Saul as king, and Saul blows it, and the Lord rejects him as king, and in, at the end of 1 Samuel 15 it says, and Samuel mourned for Saul all the day, for the rest of the days of his life. And in 1 Samuel 16, God says to Samuel, why, what are you doing just sitting there mourning for Saul? Get up and go to the tribe of Jesse and I want you to anoint one of his sons as king. That vision that you had for Saul as king, Samuel, is gone. You need to seek out a fresh one there. Do you have the idea that the vision of what you are going to do is somehow big and, big and grand? Um, I did for some time. When Janice and I got baptised up in Hamilton 20-odd, 30-odd years ago, a guy came up to us after the service, he says, look, he says, I don't know what it is, he says, but I feel the Lord's got a really unusual ministry that he's going to call you into. And I thought, oh, that's great, and um, perhaps it's happened. I, I don't think it has as such. But the reason for raising that was that back in those times, um, when you're at those services, they seemed to emphasize huge, amazing, fantastic, blessed, and those sorts of things. And it actually had the effect of causing us to, to look always for the extraordinary perhaps rather than for what the ordinary, which is a lot of what God does, does in through us. Do you feel that your best years are behind you? Have you settled for a comfortable life and the things of God are, well, a bit messy? Now, in asking the question that, please, I don't wish to be condemning in any, in any way, and nor does God, um, but as sons and daughters of him, we must ask the questions of ourselves and we have to be honest with the answers because the day will come when one day they will be asked of us. Um, I just have here a video clip of the third servant in a modern day setting. I'll just have a look at it. Thanks, Joel. Off the team, whatever. You know, just there's so much instability, so much that we don't understand, that we don't know. For me, growing up, it was, uh, a lot of you guys know, my mom died giving birth to me. Then my dad remarried. Then my stepmom died in a car accident when I was nine. Then my dad got married again. 
Then my dad died of cancer when I was 12. And so I'm in junior high, my mom's dead, my stepmom's dead, my dad's dead. The only close relatives I had were my, my aunt and uncle, George and Sandra. And then when I was in high school, they got in a fight, and my uncle George shot and killed my aunt, and then stuck the gun to his own head, killed himself. So I'm 16 years old, and this is life to me, going, man, what's next? Everything seems to be falling apart, and we get a little worried, we get a little scared. And this is what Christians do, you know, they try to serve God, but then things get a little rocky, and things get a little unstable, and so we go, okay, that was nuts, I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't want to live like that, let me, uh, let me hold on. And this is your routine, this is what so many people do, they go, you know what, I'm not going to try anything crazy. I'm just going to sit here, and uh, I'm just going to hold on, and uh, this is what you look like. You just go, uh, this is what people do. You know what, I'm just going to have my nice little family, we're just going to, um, you know, we're just going to keep to ourselves, we're going to live in a gated community, I'm going to homeschool my kids, make them wear helmets everywhere, I'm going to... Um, you know, I'm not going to let him outside because son has bad rays. I'm going to, um, you know, just on and on and on. And you just live your life in the safety of, I don't want to do anything crazy for God. I just, I just want to, you know, go to church on Sundays and maybe give like 2% um, and uh, maybe serve help the nursery because I feel guilty. And then you do this your whole life. And then you, you go, your greatest prayer is like, God, you know what? I would love to die in my sleep and not even feel it and then just go up to heaven. And so you want to die like this, just in your sleep, ooh, right in the middle of a dream, good dream, the dream you're going to heaven and you don't even feel it. And then suddenly you wake up, you stand before the judge and you go. <laughs> now, if... Uh, could you imagine... Could you imagine watching the Olympics, you know? And some girl does that, just gets up there, starts straddling the thing, and then steps off and goes... What is the judge supposed to do on the card? You see, and to me, I go, man, that's the routine that so many Christians are headed for. That's the routine, the boring, I do nothing crazy because I don't want to fall. I, I, that's the routine that they're going to live, and then one day it's going to be a shock because they're going to step off that balance beam and realize they're standing before the judge. They're standing before the judge, and you think he's going to look at that routine and go, wow, well done. Well done. You live the safest life possible, you didn't slip. You didn't fall. See, that's not the life that God's called us to. That's where the majority will head. But I don't want to go where the majority goes. Yeah, please, first I want to say again, please don't look at that through the eyes of condemnation at all. It's, I know it's, it's pretty straight up to the point and it's pretty hard-hitting. But um, it is a powerful piece. Um, it's me? My heart? Oh, it's because of this. No, you can't. <laughs> My heart's beating at least four times faster than that. 
That peace used to be me. For many years, I only wanted to follow Jesus with a really safe life. Stay away from the mucky stuff. Don't make any waves. I just like conflict anyway. Just be good. Keep it safe. I was set up in my career. I was a shareholder in a chartered accounting firm, nice and secure. The kids were you know, all but grown up. Um, and now is the time when Jeanette and I, the kids would be gone, we'd save heaps. And uh, we'd do some overseas trips, which we hadn't done because we did it when we were younger. We'd eat out more. You get the picture. But I started to have feelings of emptiness about it all and a nagging thought that if I continued like this, I'd get to heaven and I'd be pulling a talent out of my pocket and God would be disappointed with me and I'd be really ashamed that I, um, for playing it safe. So, with Jeanette's permission, I quit my job and started on the journey that has led me to coming here. And I love it. Is it always fun? No way. I mean... Have you tried working with Jenny Harris? <laughs> She's great, though, it's not fair. But there are tough bits. People are people and that sort of thing. But I have a real sense that what I'm doing is much closer to the skills and giftings that I've been given. I do want to add, though, quickly, that working here at CFUH does not mean that I'm closer to God or that, or that role is in any way superior to where any of you are. It's just that the type of role is a better fit for who I am. While God has given us particular skills which lead us to our vocation in life, it's not just in our occupation that we can minister. I would also like to say that it should be in God with the giftings you've got, it should bring a satisfaction for you, even though aspects of it will be difficult. But don't you find it great when you've been used in some way to advance the things of God for the sake of somebody else? Isn't that an awesome feeling? I love it. And we can all do that wherever we are. I've asked a couple of people to come and tell us about the work and ministries they are involved in. So can you please welcome Linda Sinke. So, Lin- Hi, yeah. so Linda, what is it that you and Peter have become involved in as a ministry? Uh, we foster children with SIFs. How did it come about? Um, did, um, what vision did you have when you were thinking about it? It actually came about um, it's something that you... We've always had children in our home, and one particular period was New Zealand's children were being killed. You remember all those stories, the children, the horrible endings that they had. My husband's a Rotarian, and at the Rotarian meeting, Rotary meeting, the... Um, the man said, is anyone here willing to, you know, just do something about it on a personal level? And so that's when Peter thought about it and came home and said to me, well, you know, what do you think? And I had actually thought about it for some time before, but it's a team job. It's not something that one person can do by themselves, I believe, successfully. And... um, it was a wonderful way of um, being used for God. Mm. 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 Cool. Yeah. So how many children have you helped over the years? Um, I counted, I didn't keep a record before um, 2009, August 2009. Since then we've had 40 different children, right. but some of them we've had multiple times. Sure. Mm. And it's combinations of families, and um, so we can have several at the same time. Cool. 
Wilson. What have been the greatest joys for you guys? Oh, off the very top of my head, it's actually hearing them giggle when they're around the farm. Um, we've got a tractor <clears throat> and a two-year-old one day was on this little tractor and it has two speeds, this tractor, slow and slower still. And it will never go faster than Peter can walk. And so it means that the child can actually be on steering all by themselves. Right. And awesome. it, it does empower them. Mm. And to hear a little two-year-old giggling was, was just great joy. And just recently, we've got quads, of course, you know, with a farm. We've got quads and we've got sheep that will come up to the children. And um, even just the children, their, their squeals of delights. Mm. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. What about the other side? What, what are the tough things that uh, um, have been in doing it? It is tough, um, them moving on, um, because we don't know exactly where they're going to, and sometimes they do go back into their situation um, for legal reasons or whatever, and that can be very tough. I am very blessed that children uh, do keep in contact with me, yeah. And, um, and also I'm involved with Foster Care Federation, and so I'm quite familiar and go to lots of meetings, and so I hear little tidbits. Mm. Cool. But it's tough. Okay, so have you heard any news about your... No. Yes, okay. Um, Linda has two children, or two teenagers, 12-year-olds mm. that, um, that are staying with them over this weekend, um, and they went to the fireworks one night, and one of them has done a runner. And, uh, and hasn't been located yet. So I thought we, would, we could just all pray for that. Um, yeah. What's it say? Shania. Shania. Lord, we pray for Shania. Lord, we pray that she would be found. She would make herself available to be found, Lord, so that she would be put back. Lord, with Linda and uh, the blessing that is on Linda's life that they, that they can offer to Shania, Lord. So we pray she would be located. Just pray, Lord, that Linda will be fine. Linda and Peter fine because the child ran off on their watch, so to speak. Would you um, just bring Shania back now, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. That's awesome. Thanks very much. Mm. Okay, I have one, one other uh, person quite down a different tack, Dave Oram. And Dave is actually... Dave, yeah, welcome, Dave, as he comes. Yeah. <laughs> Dave is actually coming on behalf of his wife, who uh, who is out in the calf, but uh, yeah, she is the spokes. Uh, yeah, he's the spokesman for the vision. Yeah, so yeah, the cafe thing it was Kerry's vision, really, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, it was more Kerry's vision than mine. One day, she sort of said to me, "Oh, you know, um, she really likes kind of cafe life, and um, it's really about people getting together." And I guess. Um, when she expressed an interest to kind of do something in the CAF, um, it kind of made me think about when I first became a Christian and how it's really people talking to me. Um, you know, there's many people in this room who I kind of met for the first time here on an Alpha course, and that was over food and drink and so forth. So, you know, it's that personal um, one-on-one where I think you can really take what we hear and hear and really apply it into your life. So, cool. Yeah. Okay. So what, what's been, you had the vision, what's been involved in bringing it to what it has? So the, the work involved, what's outworking it to make it happen? Yeah. Um, so uh, I think it's fair to say that it's a real kind of team effort and um, 
that's, I guess, one of the things that I didn't expect to get out of, you know, working in the air. I mean, I said to Kerry, I'll support you in what you're doing and so forth, but I didn't really feel like I had a lot to offer because um, I'm kind of like a 1950s husband in that I don't do any cooking or anything like that at home. And, um, you shouldn't have admitted that. How many you go? But I did go to the cooking course here. By Ron, Good man. Um, yeah. Justin. Unfortunately, I was the only one that kind of... I only had one job to do, like stir the mince, and I, and I broke the spoon. So I felt a bit stink. But, I mean, in all seriousness, it is really... I feel like I've connected with a few people at church because of... You know, the help that you need to do something like that is, you know, coordinating things with the office and um, my friends and the home group and stuff have really helped and been very encouraging and meeting new people that are helping out in the cafe and the people that have been there a long time, you know, kind of uh, hooking in with them as well. But I really love just serving the coffee because I kind of get to see everyone as I go past and I really like that. It's awesome. Mm. Thanks very much, Dave. Yeah, thank you. So, so there you have a, a very different vision. There's, there's Kerry, who isn't an upfront person at all. She has this vision. Their vision is to create an environment where we might all get together, uh, spend more time with each other, grow our relationship. Isn't it great? It's just, and you know, horses for courses and different, different giftings and that. You know, a bit like Mark Hamilton's, he shared at the, at the men's breakfast a couple of Saturdays ago. You know, what he has chosen to do is he, he goes into Ronald McDonald's house and he's in the waiting room, or not the waiting room, the, the lounge where there's, there's tea and coffee and he just sits there and waits for any parents of ch- whose children are in the hospital to come and speak to and he, he just likes to get in and chat with them um, and occasionally he has some really great uh, conversations with them and you, just, you know what Mark's heart is like. I mean, the other days he says I was there for three hours and said hello to two people and nothing but other, you know, other times it really works. So... Yeah, horses for courses and that, yeah. And many of you are involved in a wide range of work and a wide range with using a wide range of gifts and talents, and we're the recipients of it, and that's really great. But not only us, also the community and beyond as well, yeah. So may our goal always be to live like servants, numbers one and two. So let's just summarise today a bit, yeah. Firstly, success is the product of our work, God has given us everything we need to do what he's called us to do. He asks us to step out in faith and use it. We work for the master, not for ourselves, and we'll be asked to account for how we do use our God-given resources. In 1 John 2.28, it says, And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you're stuck in any way, if you're unsure of your gifts, Please, again, come along this week, and it's a journey. What happens on Monday to Thursday may well just be the identifying of your gifts if you don't know them, um, and then working from there. If you need refreshing, the same thing. And also, if you're unsure of how to use your gifts, there are visionaries amongst us. Jesse is an ideas man. So is Ron Vink, Trevor, Kerry Muller. They're ideas people, and there are others as well, so people that you can go to. Yeah. If you have a beef with God, can you get with someone to trust you, you trust to help you work with God on it? Have you had a call and a dream you haven't acted on yet? Go for it. Do it. Yeah. And please, work against being comfortable or saying you're too old. And I guess just a personal take on that, I, I plan to work full-time till I'm 70. 
for starters. Um, the, the question is just how much of that will be paid or unpaid work. So, but I'm keen to stay in the game and I'm keen to keep learning because you know, anything I learn now, I have 10 years to use, which I think is a pretty good return, don't you? And even if there's only five years to go, I think you know, that's, that's well enough. And um, So, yeah, I'm not too old. I want to stay in the game. But then I look at Hudson and Joan, um, Ben and Jenny, Jim and Kath and Ann Coughlin and others. You know, um, are they contributing? They sure are. Are they older than 70? Just. <laughs> yeah. um, are they still learning? They certainly aim to. Um, so, yeah, they're still keen to see God at work. So is your time up? Will your game over? Never, never, never. What can I do, no matter what age or state or circumstances, which, can eventually, which eventually will nudge somebody along in the kingdom, or what can you do to invest in new believers? The key thing is to make sure you avoid doing nothing. That was the master's anger with the third servant. He did nothing with it except tuck it away where it couldn't be used. God invests for our, in us for good purposes. Transformation means more of him, less of me, and I think that's a really good thing. So let us pray. But as we do, um, I'd like to pause in the middle, and if you've been stirred by something, to just give you an opportunity perhaps to talk to God about it um, here. So, Heavenly Father, in your plans, you invested in all of us, both the specific giftings for each one of us and the Holy Spirit to empower us to use them. Some of us are operating as the first two servants, and that's great. Some of us are operating on a lesser level for many different reasons. They might be afraid, uncertain of you for some reason, unsure of their gifts or how to go about using them. Holy Spirit, I ask you to minister now to my brothers and sisters. Lord, please bring change, bring new hope, bring refreshing, fresh vision, your understanding, and Lord, most of all, the assurance that you love us, and there is no condemnation for us who belong to you. In Jesus' name, amen.